Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. This week on the podcast, we're talking about a movie that is not Harry Potter. That's what? Right. We are finished our mini-series on Harry Potter. Uh, Manny had a fantastic time watching all of those movies that he, somehow he had never seen before. Uh, so you can go back and listen to those if you haven't before. But we're starting a brand new mini-series today. Uh, it is uh, our first episode that we were recording in the month of October. I think we've already released one in the month of October, but we've uh, first one that we're recording in the month of October. So we're going to be starting our Halloween Horror Month. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about The Lost Boys. Uh, Manny, you feel good about watching a movie that doesn't have Daniel Radcliffe's face in it? I'm very excited. Awesome. So if they want to hear uh, more from us, if they want to hear random bullshit from us on the Twitters and the Facebooks and the Instagrams, uh, Manny, where, how, how do they go about doing that? Well, they can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. They can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. And they can follow us and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if your podcast provider does not have the Samuel Emanuel movie podcast, please let me know and I will rectify that situation. Then again, if your podcast provider doesn't have the Samuel Emanuel movie podcast, the chances are you're probably not listening to this in the first place, right? It's possible, but they could also, they could also be listening to us on Spotify because their podcast provider isn't, isn't getting our feed. That's true. That's very true. They could be like, well, my favorite podcast is on Spotify, so I have to go listen to it there, but I actually prefer this other one. Exactly. And, th- and those are the people you're addressing. I understand. I didn't understand that before, but you've yeah. clarified it for me. Yes. First order of business. Thank you very much, Jordan Spires, for yet another insightful, exciting experience on the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. She was back last week to wrap up that aforementioned miniseries on Harry Potter. Uh, clocked in at a cool three hours and 33 minutes, if I recall, Manny. <laughs> you so are I'm, correct. I am hoping that this episode comes in moderately shorter than that one, but thanks, Jordan. I mean, we obviously had lots to say and obviously had lots of fun. Uh, if you are one of the crazy people who are listening to that podcast episode, uh, please let us know, because uh, it was a ton of fun to record. I hope it was as much fun to listen to. Yes, we have. Uh, we had some people listening. Uh, I actually have a. We have a new listener. Uh, she has been rewatching the movies and then listening to our podcast as she goes along. Her name is Shannon. Hi, uh, Shannon. Hi, Shannon. We'll see if she continues that. But uh, she had gone through uh, the first two, doing that, and she had let me know. Uh, I wasn't getting much feedback from her, so maybe I'll I'll ask her uh, her thoughts uh, so I can get some either positive or constructive criticism. Pester her. We need answers. Yes. Yes. I would have to assume she's liking them if she did two of them. Yeah. Well, I, I, I certainly hope that she becomes a, uh, a recurring listener, even even past the Harry Potter series. Me too. Uh, but also, well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll just finish up with Shannon. I didn't get a chance to thank Jordan myself, so let me just quickly wrap up the Shannon thing. Shannon did start her first episode she listened to was A League of Their Own. Oh, that was a fun episode that we did. Yeah, she was super excited, liked it, and has continued listening. But that, that... Was, that was for the delayed start of the baseball season that we recorded that, right? Correctamundo. Right. Our annual baseball tradition. Uh, we but... should do that again next year, hint, hint, hint. Hint, 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 hint. We've already picked the movie we're doing. Um, 
(laughs) But I definitely would love to say yet again, thank you to Jordan for coming in and uh, sharing her expertise on the Harry Potter world with us. Uh, It was a lot of fun listening to her talk about Harry Potter with the same type of passion and vigor that I do about, well, maybe movies in general, but the MCU. It was fun seeing somebody talk about those movies that cared about them as much as she did. It was, uh, it, it made it a lot more enjoyable for me. Our other guests got to step their shit up, right? I think Jordan's been on the podcast probably like four or five times now. Yeah. She's, I would say five, four for sure. Yeah. Well, she was on, uh, I mean, if anyone, uh, listened to, uh, that episode that Jordan was just on and liked it, they could also go back and listen to episode 117 just a, a few short months ago or a few short weeks ago. Uh, when she was on for Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban as well. Yeah, and she was so, on for Annihilation. Mm-hmm. And then and Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4. So that's four. That's all I can yeah. think of, though. I think that that must have been all of them off the top of my head. But even so, uh, she's got everyone else beat. She's currently the uh, the title holder, most appearances. That's right. She does, have, she does have the benefit over the others of living right down that hallway from me. She is my roommate, so that makes that sense. Is, that is true. So the other past past guests really need to step up their game yeah they just need to move in with you i think would be the best strategy for them i would not like that (laughs) you wouldn't like talking about movies all the time i would like to talk about movies rachel and adam and shards tebow and and i already lived together for a year and you did not like it eh? no actually i fucking loved it i won't lie (laughs) living with my best friend was one of the most amazing things ever it was fucking awesome. <laughs> it was fucking awesome. In a t- tiny fucking apartment, the two of us living together was fucking ridiculous. So uh, thank you very much, Jordan, for uh, yet another great appearance. Uh, brief brief movie news. We don't usually do a movie news segment, but this one seems relevant. So, Manny, I want to just take you back to a flashback to January of this year. Yes. Uh, COVID was but a blip on the radar in the faraway land of China. Uh, none of us knew it was going to happen. Uh, all of us were living in a fantasy land where everyone was going to be happy and healthy and movies were going to be released on time. That was back in January. And then this week, we got the tragic news that both the movie that you and I both picked for our most anticipated release of 2020, and that is Dune, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Uh, the tragic news dropped this week that it has been delayed one entire year manny were you were you devastated by the news like i was i heard the news today actually on a podcast i listened to uh and you know it's funny as i actually can't remember which one i heard it on so i can't even give them a shout out so too bad you guys you guys get your movie news from us which is once every nine or ten episodes um (laughs) i i heard it and was devastated not shocked at all not not surprised but very very sad every movie i've wanted to see this year with the exception of tenet has been delayed so i was hoping with this one coming out at christmas maybe it would still have a chance to come out uh but obviously they didn't the funny thing is is they talk and they spout off about how it's all about safety and all that it's not about safety it's about money Mm mm-hmm yeah, nobody's nobody's gonna go to the movie, and they they won't be able to pack the theaters to the brim. No, so gonna have to delay it, which is 
It was really, really unfortunate. Um, we This is coming on the tail end of a bunch of other announcements of delays. Uh, before we hit, hit record tonight, we were just talking about the delay of Black Widow, which was announced a few weeks ago. That's only until May, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And then there's also West Side Story, which I know you were really excited for. Because yep. your boy, Steven Spielberg, uh, was directing that one. Uh, that's been delayed until December. I don't think I gave the... Uh, the new release date for dune uh but it is october 1st 2021 uh so that's just shy of one entire year from the moment we were recording this podcast on october 7th so yeah kind of bummed uh was looking forward to it like you said not entirely surprised it's uh come on the tail end of a lot of other delays i'm the more delays that we get the more shocked i am that we got tenant this year to be completely honest with you Uh, i am thankful for that and i'll just say that mank better be pretty fucking spectacular (laughs) (laughs) it better make up for all these other horrible delays that we've been seeing um mank being the new uh david fincher movie i know that you know manny but for the listeners who may not uh the new david fincher movie which is released on netflix later this month uh manny and i have both been excited for so that one better be pretty fucking good mr fincher i'm talking to you directly because i know you must be a frequent listener uh because you love listening to people talk for three and a half hours about movies that are worse than yours yes who know <laughs> about one one thousandth about about film that he does yeah i i'm i often think about what some of these directors some of these directors would think if they heard us talk about movies and how embarrassed i immediately become <laughs> that if i if steven spielberg wanted to talk to me about movies i would i would just shut my mouth i he he obviously knows so much more than like that that shouldn't even be a thing that we have to say yes but. I would just be I would be embarrassed to talk to any of those behemoths. Me too. Yeah. I would I would just not talk. I would pretend that I was deaf or something. Yeah. Hey, if I just got to listen to them talk about movies for an entire conversation, I'd I'd be happy with that too. Oh, I would I would just probably commit suicide afterwards because life wouldn't get any better and I have a yep. daughter. And I have a daughter and I'm saying that. <laughs> On that happy note, <laughs> uh, back into the land of uh, of happiness where we get to watch movies. Uh, Manny, you, uh, we've, we were just both saying before we came on, we've both been a little busy. Uh, what have you been watching a shorter list than normal? Yeah, it's actually, I haven't watched one movie this week except for the one we're reviewing. So the only thing I've been watching is I, I was about to say the, I was about to use the word power through, but then that makes it sound like I wasn't enjoying it. I, I guess binging, I, I wanted to get it done because I was so enthralled. And so I finished off the first season of Batwoman. Oh, okay, cool. And... Sam, it was really fucking good. It was, it was the plot of this series of this season was so. It was so good, and I was enjoying it so much. It almost kind of made me sad that it was on this show, where if it was used in with. Okay, I'm gonna use these words, and then I'm and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna save myself if it was in better hands and better actors this is the kind of stuff that would blow people's minds but saying that it do- i'm not denigrating what the people on this show did because as everyone know if as anybody that listens to the show knows i love these cw shows my concern now is is that the star of this series ruby rose has left the show She's what? yeah after one season after one season yeah oh my god she has stated a, a lot of the, I shouldn't say stated a lot of the speculation is that she 
couldn't she couldn't keep up with the grind of doing a, a being the lead on a TV series. That's speculation. I'm not. That's just stuff I've heard. Um, she did get. We are, we are not reporting that exclusively here. At the yeah, Samuel Manuel movie. I'm not. It's not any quotes from her. It's just stuff I've heard around the internets, and you know how reliable those sources are. Um, she did get injured doing a stunt. Um, I think during the season. Oh, I shouldn't say. I think she got injured during a stunt. Doing a stunt during the season, which definitely, from my understanding, really hindered her throughout the rest of the year. Um. So maybe that led into her decision as well. Who knows? Uh, they've already recast her. It's somebody that wasn't already in the show. So I'm intrigued as to how they're going to continue because the season ends on a massive cliffhanger. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm going to be interested. Uh, I have heard uh, some rumors about how they're going to handle it. So I'm I I'm kind of interested. I'm very sad because I thought Ruby Rose was excellent as Kate Kane. And she had a couple very dramatic moments that she pulled off um quite well. And uh I had a I had a great time. Uh I got through all 20 episodes. I had a fucking blast uh watching them. The the storyline through the whole season like I said was actually much better. In all honesty, it was actually one of the best season storylines on any of the CW shows I've watched so far. That's high praise. I know how much you love these CW shows. I do. I love them because they're a lot. Like the Flash is my favorite because it's the the Flash is really cheesy fun with really incredible heart um, in it. But this this just had a really great and really dark, twisted storyline with some really chilling moments in it that surprised me. Um, but yeah, I, I had a, I had a really enjoyable time watching this and, um, I do remember talking with Jordan last week saying she enjoyed the CW shows and was unsure about watching this series. I would recommend for her to check it out for sure. Hmm. If, If she liked the CW shows, this is definitely one I think that she'd really enjoy. Um, yeah. Uh, that that's a pretty glowing review. I, w- I was just reading uh, this excerpt from Wikipedia about Rose leaving the show uh, that uh, TV line and variety reported that Rose did not like the long work hours and did not adjust to life living in Vancouver where the series was partially filmed, leading to friction on the set. Uh, Rose would later refute these reports and uh, she later called being the lead of the series taxing and stated that her back surgery following, excuse me, an onset accident in 2019 was was a contributing factor in deciding to leave, saying it was, quote, time for me to take a break to fully heal and then return to acting, end quote. Yeah, of course she's not going to admit that she didn't like living in a city because that would alienate people in that city. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I can understand that. If you don't, you know, if you don't really enjoy living in Vancouver, if, you know, everything that you hold near and dear is down in L.A., and you have to spend, you know, what, six six to maybe even nine months of the year up in Vancouver filming probably five days a week. And with with Batwoman, it's mostly night shoots because there's a lot of outside shots and it's all at night. It's not surprising that she probably wasn't enjoying the hours. And I, I wouldn't blame her, but, you know, it's kind of what you signed up for. 
but it's it's her choice. Like if she she wants to quit, that's that's fine. It's, it's too bad because I was really enjoying the work she did. And like I said, my concern going into the first episode is is she going to look credible as a fighter? And one hundred percent, she did. <laughs> she was really good. Obviously, you can see in some of the fight scenes, um, it's not her. It's definitely a stunt woman doing a lot of the fight scenes. Uh, but the ones where you know it's Kate Kane or, or where it's Batwoman not wearing a mask, it's it's uh, Ruby Rose for sure. Uh, she holds her own. It's not. It was not unbelievable. Hmm. At the risk of sounding like I'm reducing her to any one thing, but you would think a multimillionaire member of the LGBTQ community would be the ideal demographic for someone to live in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> It's surprising that, that she wouldn't like that. I love Vancouver. I've been there several. I mean, I used to go there often when I lived in BC. I love it there. But yeah, to live there might be a different story. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I watched. I wanted to I wanted to finish up the season. Every time I'd I'd sit down, I'd be like, okay, I think I'll put on the movie. I'm like, or I could keep watching Batwoman. It's tough when you have a series going to actually watch some movies. It's, I, it's tough to get it going. It it's is. To strike that balance. It is. It's it's really hard. Once I kind of start a series, I want to or a season of something. I want to finish it. I don't like really taking breaks between them when I have when I have access to the whole thing. When it's a brand new show where I only get one episode per week, you know, a la the the Mandalorian, I don't mind it at all. I I, I do enjoy it, but if I have like I had Batwoman on Blu-ray and I just I just kind of want to watch the whole thing. I just want to get the whole story. Hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, I I can't say I'll ever really watch this series. No, I I, I, I know I, that you know that I I've, I haven't seen any of the CW shows. I haven't seen a single episode of any one of them. It sounds fantastic though. Sounds like you really enjoyed it. I did. I was surprised I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. But yeah, I I I don't know if you would like them. And I would never ask you to watch them. Yeah. This this is the these are one of the few things that I fully enjoy that I don't ever recommend somebody to watch. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, ha- happy that you got that under your belt. I I too had a pretty uh, pretty uneventful week movie wise. I actually only watched one thing. It was a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're going to wish that I hadn't watched anything. Oh uh, shit. Because because uh, I watched Step Brothers this week. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, I know that you hate this movie, but uh, I don't think that I've met a person my age who doesn't like this movie. Th- uh, this this is considered Manny in the estimation of a lot of people that I have talked to a modern classic comedy, whether you like it or not. Uh when it comes to comedies, I. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know I know I, you're hesitating because you don't want to sound pretentious. Go ahead. We, we we know who you are here. You're in a safe space. So true. <laughs> Speaking of which, of my pretentiousness, I ran into one of our loyal listeners, Marlo, yet again. Hey, Marlo. And, hey, Marlo. And he says one of his favorite things is listening to how pretentious I really do get. <laughs> <laughs> He goes I hear it week after week. He goes he goes it continues to shock me at the level of <laughs> elitism that you <laughs> that you exude on that show to the points where at times I'll pause it, call my wife over and say, "Listen to Manny spout off here." <laughs> 
I stopped being surprised by it around episode three. We're on episode 123. You stopped being surprised in it about three weeks into me coming into Jersey City. Yeah, before we even started recording. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, uh, what were you going to be elitist about? What I was going to be elitist about is I... <sighs> This was I, I'm not I'm not gonna pull the punch. I pulled the punch and I was just like ah oh, fuck it. Everyone knows who I am. I don't give a shit about what people consider comedy classics because I don't really care that much about comedy. Comedy is such a broad spectrum. What a lot of people love, a lot of people don't. It's the same with horror. Horror is is different for everyone else. If people like this movie, I power to them. Like I'm I'm so glad they found something that they can enjoy. I watched it once. I sat there. I honestly don't remember if I laughed one time. I am open to the idea of revisiting this movie to give it another chance. I'm willing to give movies another chance. The only thing I'll say about Step Brothers is I'm the only male that I know that doesn't like this movie. I know a you, lot of you might you might be honestly for me as well. I might I know a lot of girls that don't find this movie that funny. But that's fairly often the case between comedies as a lot of males and females don't enjoy the same comedies. But uh, yeah, I can't think of another guy I know that doesn't at least like this movie, if not love this movie. So I completely understand that a lot of people consider this a comedy classic. I do not. Perhaps I should give this movie a revisit. We'll see. Uh, but th that that being said, Sam, tell me about your experiencing rewatching Step Brothers. So I, I've seen Step Brothers several times. I would put it in double digit territory. I've seen this movie a lot, uh, not only because I love this movie, but because, it, like I said, it's one of those movies that whenever a friend comes over, it's just an easy watch and it's an easy movie to put on that you just know everybody is going to like especially people my age i'm not i'm not sure if this transcends generations i'm, I'm purely speaking from my experience um for those of you who haven't seen Step Brothers, it stars two people one of whom many as far as i know despises that's will ferrell and the other of whom is somebody who once upon a time used to be a pretty uh, pretty successful actor uh, like dramatic actor and that's john c Riley. it's funny watching him in this movie now versus when i first saw it because Manny, when you and I first started this podcast and we were watching all these older Best Picture nominees, <laughs> I kept going, that's John C. Riley from Step Brothers. And then now I'm watching Step Brothers for the zillionth time and I'm thinking, man, it's so weird seeing John C. Riley in a role like this <laughs> because he's, he's so serious in all these other movies. Because we watched him and he was in like Chicago. I, I think 2002, he was in like four movies that were nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, was he was... Like Chicago, well, Gangs of New York. Uh, and The Hours. Yeah, and The Hours. <laughs> Yeah, just for some reason he's in all these brilliant movies, and then around two thousand five, two thousand six, he's like, I'm only gonna be in really crude comedies from here on out, and he he's stuck by it. Um, but I I love their comedic chemistry together. John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are friends in real life, and it shows. Uh, I mean, for the two of you listening who don't know the movie Step Brothers, it's uh, two adult men have their parents marry and they all have to move into the same house uh so they, they become stepbrothers and it it it's 
so stupid. It's such a stupid movie. It's ri- but it's really funny and uh, there's a lot of great comedic moments to it. Um, I was talking with one of my coworkers earlier today. Uh, shout out to Justin who does not listen. Uh, but we were. <laughs> this is an endlessly quotable movie. Uh, there's there's so many lines that I I can't even think of as we're talking here on the show. But uh, I've quoted this movie with my friends endlessly. I still when I'm in line at like a London Drugs or any sort of supermarket, I'll always take a picture of the Good Housekeeping magazine and send it to my brother as sort of an in-joke related to this movie because they both say it's their favorite non-pornographic magazine to masturbate to. Uh, (laughs) And I'll I'll just send my brother a little photo of Good Housekeeping and say just picking up some spank bank material on the way home, (laughs) something like that. Um, It's a really dumb movie. It has almost no merit as if we're considering, uh, you know, film in quotation marks with a capital <laughs> F, as Manny likes to talk about. But it makes me laugh. So that's merit in and of itself. I will also say that director Adam McKay has been nominated for Best Director by the Academy Awards. Not once, but twice. Neither of them are for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> for The Big Short and Vice, respectively. But uh, it has really great comedic performances, in my opinion. Oh, uh, there's an actor in this movie whose name I can't think of right now that's really going to kill me. Um, hold on, i got to pull up. Uh, do, you, do you happen to have this movie up right now, Manny? Step Brothers? Yeah. Yeah, can you tell me the actor who plays Derek right now? Derek is Adam Scott. I, I don't know why I couldn't think of his name. He is so fucking funny. Uh, I recently just watched him in... Uh, Parks and Rec for the first time through. I did my first rewatch uh, of that while I was uh, out of work during isolation. Uh, but he plays the polar opposite character in Step Brothers. The introduction of Derek uh, in this movie, the character introduction of Derek singing Sweet Child of Mine with his family, uh, might be one of my favorite character introductions in a comedy movie ever. It is hysterical, uh, him singing Sweet Child of Mine a cappella with his family. Um so yeah, that's that's about all I have to say about Step Brothers. Uh, Manny, do you have anything you would like to add? Um, this does have a pretty good cast. Uh, I shouldn't say pretty good cast. It has, uh, Richard Jenkins and Mary Steenburgen play their parents. Adam Scott is really funny. Uh, anything else you want to add? Maybe I should give this movie a chance. Oh, you're uh, like I like I said, you're the only person I know. Maybe certainly the only male that I know that doesn't like this movie. Um, that being said, I'm not surprised by that fact. Like, when I see this movie, I don't go, that's a Manny movie. That's it's, like. it's completely the opposite experience. It, it seems like one that you will despise. I get a lot of chuckles out of this movie. And, uh, I mean, if you if you can rewatch it and get any enjoyment out of it at all, I, I encourage you to. Um, but at, at the moment, I, I I'm not sure you'll get any value out of it. Unless, unless you somehow, what, what, when was the last time you watched it? Like 2008 when it came out? Uh, yeah, like around there. Like it would have been 2008, 2009, 2010. There's no way I've watched it since 2010. Yeah, I, I can't see you. I can barely see you watching this movie, let alone rewatch. It, it was not a choice. Yeah, it was definitely. I was with a group of friends, and they're like, "Let's watch this," and I was like, "Please, let's not." Uh, I actually do have a brief story about this movie that takes place in 2008 when it came out and was released on uh, released on DVD. Uh, this is back in the times when uh, what was the movie movie uh, rental shop that used to be in Kamloops, Manny? Not not Blockbuster, obviously, but the other one, Movie Mart. Yeah, Movie Mart. 
uh, I, I was 11 when Step Brothers came out, believe it or not. Uh, and I went to Movie Mart with my mom. And uh, she, my mom's the sweetest, sweetest lady on the planet and uh, is not a very big fan of crude humor, as a lot of mothers aren't, I'm sure. Uh, and we went to Movie Mart uh, to get a recommendation for a movie to watch for family movie night, just the two of us. And uh, the, the guy behind the counter recommended Step Brothers, which no. just come out as, a, as like a family comedy. Uh, we got we got up to a line. Um, I'm going to try to find the actress's name. It's Catherine Hahn, who's also quite funny in the movie. She tells Will Ferrell at one point uh, that she would like... To, or sorry, she tells uh, John C. Riley's character at one point that she would like to roll him into a ball and put him in her vagina. Uh, and that was about the moment where the movie got shut off by my mother. And that may have been one of the most awkward movie-watching experiences of all time. Th this is a movie that contains such lines as... Uh, uh, such lines as "I've got a luscious mane of hair from my chest pubes down to my ball fro." Like this is this is not the kind of movie I would want to watch with my mother anytime, let alone when I was eleven. So, yeah, that was one of the most horrifying experiences of all time. Thanks, Movie Mart. I'm glad you shut down. Wow, <laughs> wow. That's it. That's my bit on Step Brothers. All right, I like it. I'm glad you had a good time. <laughs> this time I did. I was watching it with people who actually enjoyed that movie. So I guess I guess I know two people who don't like this movie, and uh, you're the only one who's male. <laughs> <laughs> like I said. Uh, Manny, what are we talking about this week? Like I said, we are getting into Halloween Horror Month, so let's, let's kick it off in style. Let's go. Awesome. Episode one of our Halloween Horror Month this year is The Lost Boys. Released on July 31st, 1987, directed by Joel Schumacher, R.I.P. Written by Jan Fisher, James Germain, and Jeffrey Bohm. Starring Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Corey Haim, and Corey Feldman. Has a Metascore of 63. Had zero Oscar wins because it had zero Oscar nominations. Had a budget of $8.5 million, and it grossed $32.2 million. That is 73.6 adjusted. And the plot, after moving to a new town... Two brothers discover that the area is a haven for vampires. Sam, this is a movie you hadn't seen. Correct. This is a movie that I grew up on, that I adore. Since we were doing a Halloween Horror Month, I decided to use some executive power and make you watch this film. I am unsure of what your reaction is. I have an idea on what I thought you would think of this movie. Mm -hmm. Sam, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on the film The Lost Boys? Spoiler-free thoughts on The Lost Boys. Uh, Manny, I, I'm just going to say it. I, I don't think I enjoyed this movie as much as you would have liked me to. Uh -oh. uh, I'm not going to do the whole dance where we tiptoe around and, and delay. <laughs> uh, I, just, I, I don't think I enjoyed this movie as much as uh, you would have liked me to. It seems like a very clear product of the 80s. This movie oh, is totally. as... 80s as it gets it, it seems like it has that nostalgia factor um why, why don't i why don't i lead with a lot of the stuff that i did like because it's not like i hated this movie it, it's uh, i just think you'll probably be disappointed by my reaction to it fair enough um i i got i got a chuckle out of some of the dialogue i mean there's some of it that's dated like there's references to mtv back in the days when they actually played music mm -hmm. uh, but i even i got a laugh out of uh, the mtv reference there's a there's even a flying nun joke in there which at the time was dated but <laughs> back, <laughs> back in 87 that was already like 20 years overdue but we love sally field here on the podcast i think we don't really talk about her but i i like sally field uh but uh 
I liked a lot of those sort of pop culture references, even if they dated the movie a bit. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland is uh, just perfectly cast. It, this seems like seems like he was just typecast in a lot of these movies. His character seems like a uh, more mystical version of his character in uh, Stand by Me, mm-hmm. uh, which is a movie that you and I both like. I think. Well, yes. Uh, so, love. so he was gr- he was great. He was perfectly villainous he was a piece of shit the entire way and i hated him in a good way um i liked uh the Corys, uh feldman and haim uh in particular uh cory haim i did like i usually like cory feldman um i liked him again in stand by me i think he's awesome in that movie and in a lot of others he's doing this weird thing with his voice in this movie he's making a weird choice uh i'll get it i'll get into that I don't know why Joel Schumacher okayed this, but he's like he's kind of talking like he thinks he's a tough guy, for, which is definitely his character. It's 100% his character. It just it really gets annoying after I, a long time. I, I know the reason why. Okay, I kind of wish they hadn't done that, but even even seeing through that, I like uh, Corey Feldman in this movie. Um, but outside of all that stuff, I mean, that's not all that I liked, but it, it's sort of the main stuff. I, I just... I... Uh, I don't really know. It felt like the dialogue was a little clunky at times. Uh, it f- I wasn't super impressed by the acting by a lot of the people in this movie. It felt uh, uh, there's a lot of expositional dialogue, especially from their mother at the beginning where I was like, the, the, it wasn't just not good. It was noticeably bad, uh, especially in the conversations about uh, the divorce from their father at the beginning of the movie. I mean, this, this all sounds very specific, but I just, there, there was a lot of specific instances where the expositional dialogue was just was just not great, and I very much noticed it. I'm, a, I'm definitely a stickler for exposition. Um, this also, with this movie being in the 80s, uh, the same decade as Rocky IV, if I recall correctly, or maybe Rocky IV was right in 1990, if uh, I, I can't honestly remember. But the only reason I bring up Rocky IV is because the main parallel I can draw between them is the amount of montages. I think it's hilarious that Rocky four has so many training montages. This movie has almost as many montages in it. I would say not all about training. Thankfully there is a battle prep montage at the end. There's a motorcycle montage. There's a a carnival montage at the beginning. It's just, I don't know what it was about the eighties and montage storytelling. It just doesn't do it for me. And it dates the movie slightly in my opinion, but Again, it's a product of its time, so I don't even know if that's a fair criticism. It's just not my speed. It's just not my taste. Um, I, I think that's about all I can say without getting further into spoilers in this movie. I, I'm, I'm upset, Manny. I, uh, y- y- I, hate, I hate looking through this screen at your beautiful face, <laughs> knowing you're sitting there hoping, waiting for me to love this movie that you, that you liked when you were younger. And uh, it's a rare rarity, Manny, that there's a movie that you pick for this podcast where you're optimistic for it that uh, that kind of misses. I think it's happened like maybe one or two times before uh, in 123 episodes. Uh, but this this just wasn't it for me. It just wasn't wasn't my thing. No, I, I, I was only optimistic in the hopes. I know there's a big generational gap um, between us. Obviously, there's two decades of age difference. So for me, I grew up on this movie, so it will always hold a special place in my heart. I was 12. I wasn't even 12. I was 11 when this movie came out. So I was about 12 when I got to see it because I definitely didn't see it in the theaters. And I got to watch this movie over and over and over again. And I grew up with this movie, much like how you grew up with a lot of the Pixar films. 
where they don't carry the same weight with me because you grew up with them. So when I picked this movie, it was in the hopes that it might it might resonate with you in some way. And the fact that it didn't doesn't surprise me. I I was hoping it would, probably knowing it wouldn't. The this movie me for people of my age pretty much I don't think I've met somebody around my age that doesn't like this movie much like the stepbrothers for you mm-hmm. because we grew up with these movies it's the the movies and the art that you grew up with mean more to you so in 20 years when you get to be my age and you perhaps start a new podcast with somebody half your age <laughs> you'll introduce them to stepbrothers and they'll be like this is a piece of garbage and you'll be like you are dead to me um <laughs> Am I dead to you? No, not at all. Oh, okay. Th- this movie, this movie is uh, is a movie that means a lot to me. It's thoroughly enjoyable because I grew up with it. If I had watched this movie for the first time, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much as I do now. Watching it now brings me joy. Watching it now takes me back to and reminds me of watching it when I was younger. It's it's a complete nostalgic piece. So this is a Homer pick for me. I was hoping. Some of the aspects of it would be entertaining for you, and you, and you picked up on most of the stuff that I thought you would. I, the chemistry between the Corys, uh, is really great. The this launched the Corys. I don't know if you know about the Corys. Are I, you... I am aware of them sort of in like in recent media. Like I, I know them more as symbols of what happens to them and what like. But I'll just say, like, the, the terrible, terrible things that happen to child actors. Yes. I know them more from those sorts of stories than okay. I do from any performance. Since I've been going back and watching older movies with you on this podcast, I've learned a little more about them. I know that they were on a reality show together, right? That, yeah, that was much later. But in yeah. in after this movie, this is where they met in real life. This is where they mm-hmm. met and became friends, and they became massive superstars. Like, massive. They were on... All the little teen magazines, they were they were inc- incredibly popular. Um, Straight up, was Corey Feldman just contractually obligated to be in every single movie in the 80s? It's insane. I know. He worked a lot. Um, I loved uh, – I loved – I'm just trying to think. Do I want to get into here? Probably not. Um, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it for spoilers. There's a lot that I did like about this movie, but that's with rose-colored glasses looking back on my childhood. This is a childhood film for me. I don't think I could look at it with a purely critical eye because it means so much to me. Uh, so I was, I offered it in the hopes that you would enjoy it. Your reaction to it doesn't surprise me. I was kind of holding out hope. Um, but I got the reaction that I was most likely going to get. So let's get into spoilers for this movie uh, so um, I can gush about it. I do just want to say before you give the spoiler warning here, Manny, you alluded to it, but I just want to explicitly say for those who don't know and for those who don't listen to the podcast every week, uh, Joel Schumacher uh, was longtime director in the industry. Uh, he did just pass away a few months ago on June 22nd, 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, just worth acknowledging here. Uh, you and I both liked uh, – I mean, we were just talking about Batman and Robin before we came on air, which is uh, not a good movie and not the movie he'd probably want to be not uh, remembered for. 
but uh, we just recently watched A Time to Kill when we were talking about 1996. And that yes. was a, uh, we both found that to be a pretty underrated movie. We both liked that one. I've always been a fan of Time to Kill. I, I'm actually a fan of Joel Schumacher's filmography. Mm-hmm. Sadly, most people think of him for the Batman Forever and Batman and Robin films, which is so sad because he's done some really incredible movies. Uh, a Time to Kill, like you said. Uh, he did The Client, which was really good. He did this really dark movie called Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Uh, he did Flatliners, which is a movie a lot of people like, but I'm not the biggest fan of. He did St. Elmo's Fire, another movie I like, as well as 8mm, a really fucking dark film, and two really small films that I love with Colin Farrell called Tigerland and Phone Booth. Yeah, I think I remember you talking about Phone Booth before as one that was uh, sort of overlooked. Yeah, it's big time overlooked. And if anybody happens to see it on a streamer somewhere, I'm probably going to guess it's probably not that long because it literally is set inside of a phone booth. Yeah, it's an hour yeah. It's an hour and 21 minutes. There you go. Um, I recommend Phone Booth. I think <laughs> it's a, a nice little thriller that uh, some people could enjoy. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a uh, nice little yeah, shout out I, to Joel Schumacher. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. No, player, but given no. I just felt like we should uh, spend a little time on that, given that it's still uh, it's still just a few months old, still still a little fresh. Yeah, and my, uh, we're talking about his movie today. We should acknowledge it. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's get into spoilers for the Lost Boys in three, two, one. Uh, go fuck yourself. Let's see. Actually, the first thing I want to talk about is I I always have a hard time with ages on. Actors and actually in people in particular. Um, I think it's because, well, actually, you know what? I don't really have a reason why, but all the all the people in this film are actually actors of their age. Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, the other Lost Boys except for Alex Winter, who was the first vampire to get killed, they're all 18. Like, they're not playing 18. They are 18 years old. They're 18 years old? Yes, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell that. Yeah. Corey Haim was 13 years old. So was Corey Feldman. Uh, and then uh, I think the actor's name is Jameson Newlander, who played Alan Frog. Um, I think he might have been a, a year or two older. But yeah, I look at like I'm looking right now at a picture of Jason Patrick and I'm like, he doesn't look 18. He looks like 24. I did recognize uh, Alex Winter, by the way, from Bill and Ted. Yes. This I was... did. I, I, I got to say, I don't know what your opinion on the Bill and Ted uh, franchise is. I guess it's a trilogy now, I think. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have a third movie coming out. Um, but I, I've seen the first Bill and Ted. Yeah. Did I you think, like it? Uh, uh, I think that I did. I, I, it's, it was literally grade nine. I watched it in social studies class for some reason. I think my teacher must have just been like hungover or something. I don't know. But yeah, I I just I, I recognized Alex Winter for sure. I remember I remember thinking that uh, Bill and Ted was pretty funny, but I was also what like thirteen, fourteen. So who knows? Because he's Bill S. Preston Esquire. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bill S. Preston and uh, Theodore Logan. Yeah, I believe <laughs> uh, Ted Theodore Logan. Yes, <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of the Bill and Ted franchise, okay, aka, cool. AKA trilogy. I I love those films again. It's nostalgia. I I grew up on them, so I love them. I find them sweet and adorable. Uh, the the cast in this movie. Uh, you mentioned while you you found uh, the Corys and Kiefer to be standouts. Did you? What's your opinion on Jason Patrick? I I did not love 
Jason Patrick. Um, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't feel like he was noticeably bad or anything. Okay. He just he he wasn't a standout compared to compared to say uh, Edgar and Allen, who, by the way, I love the names of their characters. Clear reference to Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I I didn't really have uh didn't really have a strong opinion on Jason Patrick. Okay. I I, I will say I I'll occasionally watch. Uh, uh, other film reviewers talk about these films before we come on just to see if I have a difference of opinion with anyone on this. I watched uh, Siskel and Ebert, uh, their review from way back in the day when this came on, uh, or when this came out, rather, and they, they were both praising Jason Patrick's acting. They thought he was excellent. I, I really didn't feel that strongly about him either way. Okay, fair enough. I, yeah. I, did, I did think he was good. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hold on, I just want to quickly find something. Oh, no, I'll do, another, I'll do it later on. Uh Okay, I. I was just I was just curious. Let's. I want to circle back to Kiefer, who sure. I am. I was astounded to learn that he was only eighteen at the filming of this because he's always yeah, he, he looks super old. He does, and he's really really good in this movie. He mm-hmm. does, and but I I think I'm always just a fan of Kiefer Sutherland. I think his voice just really adds a lot to his performance in every film. He really knows how to con- he really knows how to portray his presence on screen. He's just he like he's a, he's a star on screen. You can't help but look at him. He captures your attention. He's so he's so good in this movie, and yeah, he's, yet and, he's electric is the only word that oh, I can think of. He's perfect word. He, he's like very commanding of of like the camera. He, he he's demanding attention. I I. I love his presence on screen yeah I, I i love him he's so great in this movie I, i'm i'm glad that you found you found enjoyment out of his performance um would you would you classify him as someone who was typecast back in the 80s because as far as older performances of his i've only seen uh stand by me and the lost boys i think I've, i'm looking through his filmography and there's no, no other standouts that i've seen uh, is, he, is he somebody that was typecast in these sorts of roles, in your opinion? Let me just quickly circle back here. Um, the first movie I saw him in would have been Stand By Me and then Lost Boys. So those are back-to-back, so that's a little bit of typecasting. Mm-hmm. He did uh, – okay, I'm just quickly going through this. No, uh, because two years – not even – a year later, he's in Young Guns, massive hit, and he plays, uh, he plays a, a very he – play, he plays a good guy. A, a incredibly warm-hearted and caring good guy, even though he like he's a cowboy and he does kill people. Um, he is uh, he's really sweet in that movie. Um, and Another then, product of the eighties in that one, Emilio Estevez. Yeah, that movie is the eighties at its finest with Emilio yeah. Estevez and Charlie Sheen. Yeah, no kidding. Both both the Estevezes. A lot of people don't know their brothers in real life. Yes. Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. There, uh, then he's in Young Guns 2, Flatliners, uh, I don't really remember, Article 99, A Few Good Men, he's, I cannot wait to watch that with you, <laughs> oh my god, it's so, it's so far away, but I cannot man, at wait. The, at the rate we're planning this podcast, I'm gonna be an old, old man by the time we get to A Few Good Men. I know, that, we're probably not gonna get to A Few Good Men until 2022, sadly. <laughs> Long time, that's how far in advance we plan this podcast. I'm thinking ahead. I don't think we can squeeze in two years in review. 
well, especially, I mean, uh, I mean, three, because uh, we've got two, we've got two, plan, we've got two planned for next year already. Yeah, we were planning the podcast before we came on air tonight, and uh, the 1995 year in year in film is going to take up a decent amount of uh, of next year's schedule. Yes, so, unless I can, unless I can be, unless you like, I don't want to do that many films. We got to cut. Fuck no! All, are you kidding? All the movies that you're fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about the Usual Suspects. Oh, awesome! Okay, it's gonna be a great one. Wicked. All right, so we're good. <laughs> um. Yeah, it doesn't look like the, I didn't see a lot of typecasting there. It's just kind of like the two, his two early films. He is typecast as as a villain. And he does an incre- incredibly great role, but there's are there are a couple. It, it's not even two years later after this film that he's cast in quite a few uh, of the hero roles. Okay, I, I just wanted to uh, ask at least because those are the those are my two experiences with early earlier Kiefer Sutherland and. I don't want this to sound like I'm criticizing him, but he's basically the same character in both movies. He's a very, very similar character between Ace and uh, David. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, totally yeah, fine. Nothing if... wrong with that. It's director's choice, really. Yeah, that's we're not the same level, but it's almost like criticizing Morgan Freeman for doing the same thing every time. Yeah, exactly. Or who else were we just talking about? George, George Clooney. Clooney. George yeah. Clooney we were just talking about a few weeks ago as somebody who just like has his niche and he just he just fits into it it's not bad that he plays george clooney every time he just he just does it yep and he's and he's good at it every time you get what you pay for totally agree um (laughs) you mentioned uh edgar and alan frog how did you like the frog brothers uh the frog brothers were fun uh they (laughs) they were almost sort of creepy at the beginning with the the how serious they are right off the bat but it was sort of endearing. Again, the only thing that really bothered me about them was uh, I, I would love to. I'm sure you have this lined up for the trivia section. But no, I would I, love. I, I'll I would talk love about to it now. Hear why Corey Feldman is doing this stupid thing with his voice in this movie because it, it graded on me for okay. sure. So Schumacher, I, I won't leave it for trivia because I hack. I had it in my notes, mm-hmm. and uh, Schumacher actually wanted Feldman to butch up his performance, so he asked him to watch. Uh, Sylvester Stallone and Chuck Norris films to get an idea on what Schumacher was looking from his character. So once you know that... Yeah, that makes total sense. Now you can see why he was that way. <laughs> yeah, he should have just yelled, Adrian, at one point. <laughs> now that that makes sense. Yeah. the, the When you're watching this movie as a 12 to 14-year-old boy, the Frog Brothers are literally your heroes. Mm-hmm. These are... Like, for me personally... These are two guys who work and know work in a comic book shop, know about comics, fight vampires, say funny shit, and actually one of the things I love about the Frog Brothers is they didn't go to the usual trope about when these tough-talking kids get into a situation where they have to back it up, they chicken out. When they get down to that cave and they got to kill that vampire... There is stabs him in the fucking heart. There is zero hesitation, and dare dare I say, there's even some malice. There's even some like sadistic joy. Yes, the frog, (laughs) the and it's one of the things. It's the frog brothers are one of the reasons that I really love this movie. Is it was basically childhood fantasy. You have these really cool, like again, I'm a 12 year old kid when I'm watching this, so that the Corey Feldman voice didn't. It didn't register with me. I just thought he was fucking cool. And of course, I I have the history. I have the history with Corey Feldman already after watching him in Stand by Me and The Goonies at this age. 
So I think I think Corey Feldman's one of the greatest people on the planet, as he had these three amazing adventures. Um, so the Frog Brothers really meant a lot to me as a kid, and it's again one of the reasons that this movie really holds a special place in my heart. It's it's literally a, a boyhood fantasy played out on screen with these kids. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it makes perfect sense why this would resonate with you. Like it's it's all coming all, the picture is coming together very clearly. The the comic shop didn't even I didn't even really think about the specific connections to this movie for you. I just kind of thought, okay, this is a movie from Manny's childhood. Like he's obviously going to be uh very nostalgic about it. I I wasn't making specific connections in my head about uh the frog brothers and the comic shop. But yeah, the picture is very clearly coming together. Yeah, and it's 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 why it's again. It's one of the many reasons that I love this movie, and like like you mentioned earlier, the eighties eighties movies are full of montages. So yeah. it's it was part of the reason. Part of the reason also is the it was art influences art, and in the eighties MTV comes in and the music video comes in with the eighties. Music videos were basically montages. They were montages set to a song. Some videos were done really good and they told a story, and some were montages or they were just pictures of the thing. But a lot of these music video directors were starting to come into Hollywood. That's exactly what Joel Schumacher was. He was a commercial and a music video director that came into Hollywood. Same as David Fincher. Um, David Fincher did a lot of incredibly important music videos, and that was helped launch his career. The and you can once you once you understand the influence of basically MTV on Hollywood, you can see why. So montages are throughout '80s films, especially action films. And so, yeah, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I was just going to say. I, I mean, I made the Rocky Four connection earlier, but really, it, it could have been anything. Rocky Four, in my opinion, is just one of the one of the most noticeable offenders in in that vein. But yeah, you could you could pick any '80s action movie from the era and uh, and find it full of montage. It is unfair to a degree, I know, to sort of criticize older movies by current standards. It's like saying the CGI in Citizen Kane is really bad. It's just like it's like it's it's not. It doesn't mean anything. Like it, like, it should be measured by different standards. So I feel bad just criticizing the, the film language that's being used because I, I know that it's evolved over time. Uh, but it just it stands out so noticeably. Um, the the best analogy that I can give, and it also kind of overlaps with this movie, is uh, 80s mo- or 80s music always has really really strong keyboard in it, especially popular music. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody who knows me and has ever talked to me about music knows that my favorite band of all time is Rush. Uh, I have a poster behind me right now that Manny can see. Uh, but there's like three or four albums in the eighties that I just cannot listen to because they, they're so synth heavy and they went, they went really into keyboards and that, that, I mean, overlaps with this movie, the synth score in this movie really like sort of grated on my nerves just because this was, this came in a time where everything had to be keyboards, even the music in movies that had to be keyboards. And I feel bad for criticizing the language that the music is using because it evolves over time. And I'm sure there's going to be aspects of modern music that future music snobs are going to hate. And there's going to be aspects of future 
or of our current movies that future movie snobs are going to hate, but it just it stands out to me really, really badly. It's just uh, for so, there was something about art in the '80s where everyone just decided everything needed to be insane. Yeah, just like pretty much, I'd say twenty years from now, uh, film film fans are going to look back and like, did you guys make anything other than superhero movies? <laughs> yeah, well, people are looking down on that now. Just ask Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Um, since we're on the music section. Yeah, I didn't like it. No. What'd you think of the saxophone player? <laughs> you uh, you had alluded to him last week, I think. Yes. I think you had just made an ominous comment about a sax player. Yep. I fucking laughed my ass <laughs> off when he was on screen, man. He is so over the top. It's like they just... They just covered him in salad dressing or something before they put him out on stage. He's just completely oiled up, playing the sax, gyrating around. He's got this crazy 80s hair. Yeah, I, I, I was fucking digging him. Uh, a quick question. Yes. Uh, there's, there's a marquee behind him that just says live. Is that the name of the band? Are they advertising that they have live music? Like, it just, it's... I've never seen a marquee that just said live and nothing else. No, there was a band called Live, but they didn't come in until the 90s. Um, the saxophone player, his name is Timmy Capello. Okay. And he is actually the... <laughs> He's actually the main saxophone player for Tina Turner. Really? This man is an incredible musician. But he says the only he's like ninety five percent of the people that come up to me come up to me about Lost Boys. <laughs> he spent decades as the saxophone player for Tina Turner. He has been a part of some of the most amazing music ever put to vinyl, and yet everybody comes up to him about the Lost Boys. Well, maybe you should have thought of that before you were gyrating up on a stage covered in fucking oil. <laughs> uh, Joel Schumacher uh, said that in between takes, uh, Timmy was doing uh, curls and push-ups, so he looked as best as he could on screen. What the what the kids these days would, would come to call getting swole, yes. I believe. A modern lesson in vocabulary for you, Manny. Okay, so <laughs> I'm... A huge fan of Timmy Capello, and I can tell you, as a kid of the 80s, when you saw that guy, you thought he was cool. I I don't believe you. Yes. <laughs> I refuse to believe this man was ever cool. No, he was. Totally. That That's the 80s. You, look, at, look at the fucking hair bands of the 80s that were incredibly popular. That's true. Right? Like, Twisted Sister, Quiet Riot, Def Leppard, like... They were all along the same Van fucking Halen. Half-naked guys with long hair doing crazy shit. This, when this was on screen, we all thought, like, that guy's fucking cool. Yeah, well, I'm, so I'm trying to think of the name of the lead vocalist from Twisted Sister. Is it D? D Snyder. Yeah, I kept wanting to say D Gordon, but that's a baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> Who bears no resemblance to him. But no. Yeah, D. Snyder in uh, in the video for We're Not Gonna Take It, and I'm assuming other performances as well. The makeup is just, oh my god, yes. over the top. It yes. is. If you if you're my age and you've never seen what D. Snyder <laughs> looked like in the We're Not Gonna Take It music video, you need to look him up right now because it is it is rem it is unsettling. <laughs> it is it is far too much makeup. 
Um, by the way, I, I hate to take it in this direction, even yeah. dampen the mood, but I, I should also acknowledge while we're talking about Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen dead this week as well. Yes. I, uh, don't know if you knew that. Uh, I did. Big, big uh, musical idol of mine as well. Uh, not nearly as much as Neil Peart, who we talked about earlier this mo- er, earlier this year, rather. But uh, but yeah, Eddie Van Halen, just terrible, ter- terrible uh, year for celebrity death. We got yeah. we got to get out of 2020. Yes, we gotta get indeed. Out of the pandemic. Yeah. R.I.P. to Eddie Van Halen. Big. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Eddie. Van. Fantastic, fantastic guitars. I've been listening to Van Halen all week. I uh, I've been listening to uh, in in particular their debut album. I fucking love that thing. Uh, circling back to something I alluded to, and I just kind of skipped over as you answered it. You weren't a fan of the soundtrack, not the score. Uh, you've always mentioned the score. You didn't like the soundtrack. Yeah, again, just it, everything was everything is keyboards, <laughs> and it's just it gets it gets a little much. But again. I feel bad even saying that because that's just the eighties. I just, I'm just going to have to learn to deal with that as we're going to older movies. It's just, it's not my, not my cup of tea. All right. Fair enough. Um, a, a quick note on, uh, Diane Weiss who played the mother. Uh, I always, I found it's so funny. I, I found her performance to be a little weak, but mm-hmm. the, um, What's the word I'm looking for? She's on screen. She's trying to be such a great single mom. She's so understanding and so patient with the boys. And then reaching, and then when that one scene where she reaches out to Michael, because she's trying to figure out why he's all of a sudden so distant after he's become a half vampire, but she's trying to reach out to him. It's, I think it maybe resonated with me coming from a single mom family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it meant a lot to me, but her. The rest of her performance is fairly weak, which is odd because she's literally coming off of an Oscar-winning performance. She just won the Best Supporting Actress for Bullets Over Broadway, if Mm. I'm not mistaken. I I have no idea. But yeah, she stuck out to me as a weak spot in this movie. If you had told me uh, before coming in that she was an Oscar-winning actress, or at Uh, at least... Two-time. Two-time. Yeah, so... Two-time Oscar-winning actress gives a performance like this. I I don't know if I would have believed you because she was uh, she was one of my least favorite parts of the movie. She, to be entirely fair to her, she was given some of the worst lines of dialogue in the movie. Again, a lot of this expositional dialogue about the stuff that happened before the movie, especially with the divorce with the boy's father. Uh, she was she was given some really shit dialogue. Uh, but there's one <laughs> there's one moment in this movie that I actually laughed at. When she says to she says to Sam, uh, one of the reasons I divorced your father is because he didn't believe in the closet monster. I don't know if that's a paraphrase I have written down or nope. That's an exact quote. quote. That's a perfect quote. That I I shook my head as a child of divorce. I can tell you the jolly way in which she delivers that line would have missed the mark probably. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was I and from the way she talks about the divorce, it sounds like it's pretty new. Uh, I, I can tell you that line I, I laughed at. I'm like, Ooh, that, that might be a touchy subject with your son still. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be so happy about it. It's possible. Uh, I do want to correct myself. The Oscar she won for right before this film was Hannah and her sisters. Mm-hmm. She won uh, her second Oscar for Bullets Over Broadway eight years later. Eight years later. Yeah. And she was another nominee for uh, Parenthood in 1990. Diane Weist, way to go. Yep. Not in this movie. Nope. Um, the We actually were talking about this beforehand, but I do have it in my notes, so it's not uh, it, it's not a, a new revelation, but 
for a movie with such a low budget, the cinematography and lighting in this movie was actually really well done. And yeah, we, I was uh, I was surprised. Very heavy on fog as well. Yes, <laughs> a lot uh, of fog in this movie. Not yeah. a bad thing. Just a stylistic choice. Yeah, uh, the use of fog in the bridge scene, Sam. Yeah, yeah, I like the bridge scene. Bridge scene was fun. Yeah, it was a, a, a little bit insane, and we'll get probably get into Michael's uh, like character and his choices and the plot of the movie, I guess, a little bit more. So the decision to have him be in the spot was completely unrelatable to me. This dick measuring contest that they do <laughs> on this bridge before he knows he's turning into a vampire. Uh, but the the scene itself, once they get there, is uh, is a lot of fun and surprisingly well made, well shot. Yeah, and I learned how they did that. Um, the actual bridge is real, and so all that fog in there uh, underneath the bridge uh, is actually to mask that they're pretty much. I think they're only about fifteen feet off of the ground. Mm-hmm. So it gives the illusion that it it's over top of this massive chasm, but they're actually not that far. And then the scenes where you see them actually fall into the fog were recreations of that bridge in a soundstage, and so they are falling about 30 to 40 feet into cardboard boxes, which are done by stunt people. Really great transitions because I always thought it was done at the same location. So it's really great editing and really great lighting and cinematography. Yeah, that's seamless. I, I didn't know any of that. I mean, I, I was questioning how it was done, but yeah, that, that, absolutely seamless. I didn't recognize that part of that was on a sound, sound yeah, stage. Yeah, it is a huge dick measuring contest, especially, mm-hmm. especially again, with what you said is with Michael not knowing that he, he won't die if he yeah. falls. Like I was just, I kept thinking the same thing. I'm like, I would never do this. Yeah, well, that, this segues nicely because maybe this is part of the reason why... Uh, what's the actor who played Michael's name? Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick. Maybe this is part of the reason I wasn't totally enamored with his performance because I hated Michael for a lot of this movie. Really? Michael make, he makes some really questionable decisions. Maybe I shouldn't say a lot of this movie, but certainly this section of the movie. This whole... This girl that I just locked eyes with at a concert has this dick boyfriend, so I'm going to risk my life several times to to get her sort of thing is just not an emotion I can relate to nor can sympathize with. It's just really, really stupid in my opinion. Uh, there's, it was also sort of unclear to me. Like, I don't, maybe this is another relic of eighties movies, but were all feuds and disputes settled via motorcycle race. Was this a, was this a thing that happened back in the day? Just it, where's the other one coming from? Huh? Well, you said like all of them. So where's well, where's where's the other one? That's sort of the thing. I I don't have another example for oh. you. It just it just feels '80s. It just feels like it sh- it should happen. I I only say this because it, it doesn't make sense to me that he goes off riding with them. He he even says I I can't keep up with your bike, and he says you don't have to keep up with the bike. You just have to keep up with me, or or or, or, or I can't beat no, he, you. He says you yeah. don't need to beat me. You just need to keep up. Uh, that whole scene, the whole motorcycle race scene, again, surprisingly well shot for what this movie is. Yes. Uh, but I, I just, I'm, during the whole sequence, I'm just sitting there going, okay, why are we riding bikes all of a sudden? Like, he's just trying to, he's, they're racing to get the girl, I guess. And, like, I, I don't know. It, it's, it, it's machismo is what it is. In, yeah. in the eight, In the 80s, because of Stallone and Schwarzenegger and all of that, the, like, manhood in, Proving that you're a man was a was really was really big up there in the 80s. 
the the sensitive man had not come yet and so michael showing that he could keep up he he's not going to back down and is what it is he's not going to be like oh that's your girl okay um, my bad i'll go away now that's not that's not how things were done in the 80s at least not on screen and so that's why he's racing him he's like i'm he's michael's like i'm not going to back down from this i don't care if there's four of them i'm not backing down i'm not i'm not a fucking pussy uh, and but he's all he's fully aware. He's like, I can't beat your bike. He knows the bike. He's like, I can't beat your bike. And David's like, I uh, I just want you to keep up. Prove to me that you're a man. And that's what Michael did. He proved that he's a man. Oh man, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in the '80s because that sounds really fucking stupid to me. <laughs> Dude, it was. It, I won't lie. Like it's it it shaped a lot of my as we get into some deep shit. It it sh- <laughs> it, it it really shaped a lot of my own insecurities about myself. And, I don't doubt it. And my, I really would do that to anyone. Yeah, and it's definitely hindered a lot of the things I could have probably accomplished if I didn't have this, if I hadn't been so affected by what I saw on TV and film. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, that's a problem even today, right? I mean, kids are kids are affected by the things that they watch, and I'm, I'm sure I have some deeply rooted insecurities from staring at uh chris evans uh <laughs> <laughs> you know growing up so you're, you're certainly not alone in uh in this realm i oh I, I actually i just want to i want to stay on the motorbikes for one second sam so, yeah, sorry yeah. uh because at that t- i don't know if it's still that way now probably not but in the 80s motorbikes were cool like yeah, they, I don't. I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, it definitely was. Like we all, everybody wanted to have a motorbike as a kid, and it's uh, it, it's, it's kind of the case, I guess. But like, very few people that I know, that I knew growing up, were like, "Yeah, when I grow up, I'm gonna ride a motorcycle." It was not. It was not a thing. Yeah, no, it was a, definitely a big time thing, and as for as for an '80s kid, so that motorbike scene, like we all thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I will say a movie that I've been waiting for us to find an excuse to watch. That's a place beyond the pines does have, uh, it has Ryan Gosling on a dirt bike and that's, that's kind of a thing. There you I, go. I know a lot of guys, I know a lot of guys who ride dirt bikes now that I think about it, actually, maybe that's sort of where it's moved to. Maybe, but those were dirt bikes that they were on. I know. I, that's what I'm saying. Maybe, ah. maybe all the, all the would be motorcycle kids have, have gone to dirt bikes, I guess. Well, we like, we, we wanted dirt bikes. Like we didn't care. We didn't care what motorcycle was. Street bike, dirt bike. We thought dirt. Like we just thought motorcycles, dirt bikes, or motorcycles were the fucking coolest thing in the world. Okay, I see. I would say. Uh, I would say street motorbikes. I, again, I I probably sound like a fucking loser to anyone who knows anything about any of these things because I'm not a vehicle person. But uh, same yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, dirt bikes, as far as I know, are the cooler ones, especially among. How do I? What's the word? R- rural kids. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Kids, kids, a bunch of kids that I know from the outskirts of Kamloops, like, like Nutsford. Yeah. <laughs> those kids are really into dirt biking. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> the two other, th- uh, well, one other thing, obviously, uh, the production design was fairly impressive with the, basically the two sets, uh, the house, the interior of the house, I thought was really cool. Uh, and the cave, I thought was really cool. Yeah, the the, uh, the sort of uh, what was it, an old hotel or something that was on a fault? Yeah, it was on a fault line. 
Yeah, a big old poster of uh, Jim Morrison from The Doors in the background. Uh, I wonder if the set designer was going for some symbolism of another guy who didn't get to get old, but I, I'm thinking in a movie like this, it probably wasn't that deep. Probably not, no. (laughs) From what I heard, um, Joel Schumacher just thought that the vampires would like the doors. That's that's why that picture of Jim Morrison's there. That's okay. The Doors are good. Another band that was really into their keyboards, but more like more like the organ, I guess. They had a lot of organ and Doors music. Uh, other than that, I just have a couple scenes that I'd like to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You you lead the way. Uh, Sam discovering Mike is a vampire. Uh, with him crossing his fingers and the garlic <laughs> necklace made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey Haim full of charm and charisma you can see how this kid became such a big star he's has such an ease being on camera uh and he had really good chemistry with jason patrick they their scenes together were well done there's this the moment where he's in his bath and nanook attacks mike to save sam and I always got a chuckle when Sam comes down and Mike goes, Nanook bit me. He's like, what did you do to my dog, you asshole? Like, yeah. not, wor- not worry, <laughs> not worry. The first thing that he says. Yes. <laughs> Your brother's bleeding out of his fucking hand and needs to go to a hospital to get a shot. <laughs> you asshole. Oh, I love it. Um, the... We, we touched upon it earlier, the Frog Brothers uh, going into the cave. Uh, I love... <laughs> I love when they're so... It's Again, it's all those little things. They're just getting ready, and they're both checking each other's backpacks to get ready to go in there to stake them. Uh, they go down to the cave. They're trying to find them. Uh, it's, it's a good thing those vampires are heavy sleepers because those guys are yelling the whole time. Yeah, what was that about? I mean, it was never really established in the movie, but yeah, what he uh, he delivers some '80s action uh, one-liner before he stabs him through the heart. I think uh, I'm just like, how do these guys not wake up? These, <laughs> these vampires, they really need their beauty sleep, apparently. Well, when they discover them, the, all three of them yell. Yeah, like yeah, like, sc- all, like scream. Out, ah. Yeah, and, and and Sam's ah is about one-tenth of as loud as what they were in the movie. And they're literally, like, right below them. And they scream, and the vampires don't wake up. So, whatever. Um, eh, plot convenience. Yeah, whatever. It's all good. Yeah, it's fine. The other scene I loved uh, is the dinner scene with Max, where they're trying to uncover Max being a vampire. Kills me every time. I think uh, I think Diane Weist uh, kind of took me out of this scene again as well because there's the whole bit with uh, him grating the cheese itself, gra- grating the cheese himself, and it turns out that it's not cheese, it's garlic. Yeah. And Diane Weist's character again, it could also be a product of the terrible dialogue that she's given in this scene, but she says like, "How on earth could that have happened?" Like, she she just said that her son did it. Like you. She, any mother that I know, their first reaction would be, Sam, why would you do that to our guest? Like, she's not an idiot, or she shouldn't be an idiot, in my opinion. She just goes, oh, well, golly, how did that happen? <laughs> and just, it was, 
I kind of rolled my eyes at that. But it's a fun little scene. I like their back and forth uh, trying to figure out uh, if he's the head vampire. Of course, even though this is a horror movie, uh, I know that a lot of uh, kids back in the day, I guess, were, were fans of it. But Max being the head vampire uh, is just telegraphed right from the beginning, right? Oh, yes. Yes. And from the second he steps up to the door and says, well, can I come in or something like that? And I'm just like, oh, Are you going vampire. to invite me in? Yeah. So aren't you going to invite me in? Uh, yeah. You're, you're a vampire. Oh, no. If, he's, if a, no, if he, a says, person... he says, I'm not coming in unless you invite me. And, yeah. and Michael says, you're invited. If a person that I actually knew said that to me, said, I'm not coming in unless you invite me, I'd say, get the fuck out of my apartment building, you vampire. Like, <laughs> there's, that is the most ominous shit you could possibly say entering someone's apartment or their home. I do love, uh, in that moment there, uh, Michael's leaving, and Max meets him at the door. He meets Max at the door. And he goes, oh, you must be Mike. He's like, oh, you, you must be Michael. And Jason Patrick's delivery of this line, and you must be Max. <laughs> Such disdain and I don't give a fuck about you tone in that delivery has always just made me warm and fuzzy. Yeah, it's a good line reading. I can't complain about that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, what are your thoughts on Grandpa? Uh, didn't, didn't really do it for me. Uh, there were a couple little bits that, uh, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of shrugged off. I didn't dislike him. He, he wasn't in the movie enough to like take me out of it, but there's a moment he like, he uses uh Windex as aftershave. Yep. Just did. It felt like that was supposed to be a big laugh out loud. Maybe not a big laugh out loud moment, but it was supposed to be pretty funny and it just did not tickle my funny bone. He, uh, he didn't, didn't tickle me in the right ways. I don't think. Fair enough. Uh, last thing, uh, the special effects and the camera tricks. With such a limited budget, I loved how they used helicopter shots to establish that they could fly without showing that they were actually flying. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. I, I did like it. I thought it was well done. Uh, you know, they ripped the hood off that car and killed that punk couple who are reading comics. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, you know, they killed that security guard. They have that helicopter shot of where Nanook's still tied up to the post. Uh, it's just really well done. It's just an easy, cheap way to show something. Like, the audience knows what's going on. And it's, it's just, it was so easy and so well done. Nowadays, you get the full CGI vampire flying shot. But I, I really like this. I thought it was, yeah. I thought it, it was better this way. No, cinematic shorthand, for sure. It's, uh, it's it's a quick little way of showing that they can fly. These days, even if you couldn't afford CGI, you can just, you know, get a fucking drone for dirt cheap and uh, and get it that way. But it's uh, it's interesting, the further we go back in movies, the uh, creative ways that things now would be done with CGI, you need to you need to see how filmmakers of an older generation would, would do these sorts of things. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it's interesting to see. Awesome. Uh, that's pretty much everything, Sam. Was there anything you wanted to touch on before we go? Yeah, there's not a whole lot. I mean, I already I complained about basically everything that you brought up. I, I <laughs> uh, oh, there's uh, there's a scene inside uh, inside the cave. You did say that you liked the set, but it was nice for me uh, to see them uh, turning the rice into maggots and the noodles into uh, the noodles into worms. Just uh, you know, we've reviewed this movie on the podcast before. Uh, what we do in the shadows. Yes, that that was always a part of the movie that. 
I guess obviously I didn't get. I thought it was funny. So for those who don't know, who haven't seen it, what we do in the shadows is a comedy movie about vampires. It's a it's a mockumentary about vampires, and uh, there's a bit where one of them turns uh, turns spaghetti into worms, and it it's now I know it's a clear reference to this movie. Yes, I, I I didn't know that at the time. Um, again, I like I listened to the commentary for this movie, and uh, Schumacher was giving tips. He's like, if you ever want. If you ever have a scene with maggots, he's like, if you ever have maggots, they don't do anything. He's like, so we had to get the maggot wrangler to get them to move around. And he's like, you want to know how we get them to move around? Lemon juice. He's like, you squirt lemon juice on them, and that's how they start moving around like that. And same with cruel. And, sa- and same with the worms. That's why they're all squiggling around. He's like, you just squirt lemon juice on them, and then they go crazy. Hmm. Your, your fun uh, filmmaking tip. Your potentially inhumane filmmaking tip of the week. <laughs> inhumane? It's lemon juice. Well, I would imagine it's acidic. Well, lemon for... juice is acidic. Sure. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I have not asked any bugs their opinions on lemon juice. I am just assuming that it, uh, that it would be because they're disturbed. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, That's. I thank you for bringing up that uh, the Chinese food scene. I forgot about that and I, how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, uh, I just want to point out, though, that twice... He does this where he eats rice. It, uh, I don't, I don't think he's, uh, he's being made to hallucinate, right? Yes. So, uh, yeah. He hallucinates that it's maggots and then it's not. And then, uh, then, uh, they turn the noodles into worms and then he doesn't, he doesn't give a second thought about, about the blood. Like he's realizing that these guys can make him hallucinate, but he doesn't think that they're actually like. At that point, nothing should seem abnormal to you. Like, you should just be leaving that, that place, probably. Like, I don't know why he scoffs when Star tells him, don't drink that, it's blood. He's like, yeah, right. Like, 30 seconds ago, you didn't think you'd be able to, to be convinced that noodles were worms. So, what are you so certain about right now? <laughs> we're, 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 try, we're, we're, we're looking at the plot holes that if, if they didn't do it, the movie wouldn't exist. That's true. That's true. Right. I'm if, just saying, it, maybe maybe do your uh, your maggot shtick after you get him to drink the blood is what I'm saying. <laughs> I would I wouldn't be in this place in the first place. It baffled me that he followed them there after their dick measuring contest with the with the bike race anyway, and then he then he drinks what they're offering him. I don't know this this guy uh, this guy just seems destined to die. <laughs> if this was a traditional horror movie, he'd be the first one dead. No, he's the main character. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, in your old slasher films, he'd be the one to die first, especially because he has sex. If you have sex, you die in horror movies. You know this, Manny. Yeah, not in this one. Uh, we have not even talked about Star, and I'm not upset about it because there's nothing notable. Nothing notable about Star or their relationship. Yeah, no. It has it has no meaning and no payoff at the end, and they have sex once, and that's it. The end. The By end. By the way, uh, uh, the episode on what we do in the shadows was all the way back in uh, episode 57. Nice. Ooh, that was a long time ago. A long time ago. Uh, all right, some trivia. I got lots because I like the movie. Sure. Uh, I've always noticed this, so I'm so glad I could find this note. Uh, characters in the movie say the name Michael 118 times. I 100% <laughs> noticed that. I pointed it out to Jordan as we were watching it. I'm like, is it just me or are they saying Michael a lot? They, they're addressing him by name every time they address him. Like, Manny, that's weird. Manny, like you don't even realize how many times I say the name. Do you agree, Manny? Manny, do you agree with me? Oh God, it was fucking awesome. I've always, I've always noticed that, 
and I'm so glad I found that note. It's so <laughs> off-putting. It's a it's a what ninety minute movie, ninety eight minute movie, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's super short, which yeah, is so what, good. Hundred and eighteen times. Yep, that is more than a Michael a minute. <laughs> it's more than a Michael a minute. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, the movie was filmed in only three weeks with an eight point five million budget. You can see why. Uh, in the documentary Blood Sucking Cinema, Corey Hames said that all the blood had glitter in it to give it a shimmering effect and was slimier than other fake blood. Now, I hadn't noticed the glitter in the blood actually until this viewing, so I wonder, is the glimmer in the blood a precursor to the shiny vampires in Twilight? That's true. I uh, I didn't even think about that. but Yeah, I actually never noticed the glitter in the blood until this viewing, and it's when they like when they came out after they've killed uh, Bill. Well, I mean Alex Winter. Um, <laughs> they come out and they're all sparkly. I'm like, I think maybe I'm like, is this the first time I've watched this on Blu-ray with my, with my four <laughs> could be it. with my 4K TV? And I'm actually starting to see all this. So it was uh, it was it was really apparent. I was like, oh my god. I'm like, this might uh, be the reason for Twilight. Um, this was filmed. Uh, the movie is set in Santa Clara which is a fictitious town. It was filmed in Santa Cruz. Uh, every year at the landmark Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, uh, this film is screened as part of the park's free summer movie series. Beachgoers may bring outdoor furniture and supplies to watch after sunset, uh, and many of the features of the town uh, can still be recognized, especially the rides and games of the boardwalk itself. Um, i just like to point out that the uh, the town is Santa Carla. Santa Carla. What did uh, I say? Sa- Santa Clara, which oh. is uh, an actual place in California. I only uh, I only make that distinction because I kept writing Santa Clara in my notes, and I had to keep crossing it out and writing Carla. Okay. Uh, Santa, <laughs> Santa Cruz, where Santa Carla takes place, was once plagued with the reputation of being the murder capital of the world because of a series of very brutal murders by three different very disturbed men in the early 70s. John Lindley Frazier, Herbert Mullen, and Edmund Kemper. Santa Cruz endured 28 murders over a 30-month period between 1970 and 1973. That does not sound pleasant. Uh, at the time of the filming, Jameson Newlander, who played Alan Frog, had chest hair despite being only 16, so he was 16. Uh, in the scene where Paul gets pushed into the bathtub, he grabs the Frog Brothers by the shirt. Jameson was grabbed by his shirt. His chest hair was grabbed too. James. Ow. Jameson says, the pain you see on my face is actually quite real. Owie. Yes. Uh, Corey Feldman almost wasn't in the movie. At the time, Corey was struggling with drug abuse at a young age and showed up to work coming down from a cocaine binge. Director Schumacher was very upset that Corey kept dozing off and was unable to continue filming, so he fired him. But hired him back the next day after Corey apologized and swore to come to work prepared from then on, which he did. Good for him. It, again, hate to I, I keep taking this episode to such a to many dark places, but it just it's so unfortunate what happened to to Corey Feldman back in the day between the sexual abuse and then the drug abuse and like child stardom in and of itself is uh, is enough of a burden. Let alone all the garbage that Hollywood put him through It's just just horrible. Yeah, it's it's sad the, how Hollywood just chews up and spits out child actors yeah. uh in the dinner with max and the frog brothers alan puts out candles with his fingers 
but nobody told Jameson that he had to wet his fingers first, so he ended up getting burnt. In later takes, he dipped his hands in a basin of water before putting out the candles. Um, actually, I didn't get to mention this. this is actually the one that I forgot to. Uh, I'm unsure of what your answer is because I actually love this, but maybe you didn't like it as much as mine. I fucking love the last line of this movie. Uh, yeah. Oh, I have this written down somewhere. Hold on. I have my book open. Um, one thing about living in Santa Carla, I never could stomach all the damn vampires. Yes. Oh, yeah. Eh. Lukewarm, I guess. Oh, Neither yeah. a thumbs up nor a thumbs down. Sideways thumb. Oh, that breaks my heart. <laughs> uh, the movie didn't originally end on a joke. After the scene with Grandpa at the refrigerator, it was supposed to cut to the surviving Lost Boys regrouping in the sunken hotel. The last shot was of a mural on the wall made in the early 1900s with Max in it, looking exactly the same as he did today. All of this appeared in an early draft of the script, but ultimately was never filmed. Um, one more thing with uh, Grandpa, if I could. Yeah. Uh, there's so much fuss made early in the movie about how he doesn't want the kids touching anything. and He's, he's even said a couple of times, most important rule in the house is don't touch anything. I've got it all exactly how I want it. That all feels like it should be building up to a payoff. Like I underlined that in my notes. I was like, oh, this is this is going to be paid off in a big way later. And it wasn't. Yeah, that's kind of disappointing to me. Well, what in what way would you want it to pay off? I don't know. Just like uh, just I, I don't have anything pre-written off the top of my head, but something something in connection to, uh, I don't know, the history of the vampires. Or I mean, it's clear that he knows that there's vampires in the town at the end. It could well be that he has, like, vampire murder weapons hidden under some of these terrible... Uh, ter- he's got, like, a wooden stake hidden underneath one of the owls or something like that. That like I'm just spitballing here. This is off the top of my head. Okay. Just give me, give me some sort of payoff because the boys even dismiss it. They give a little, like, blah, blah, blah hand or something like that. Or I think they do a joint smoking uh, gesture or something like that. Well, they, they point, he points... His grandpa's growing weed. His grandpa's growing pot. You can see the plants. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, uh, I'm just saying that they can think that their grandpa's crazy, but it feels like there should be a payoff to this. Am I crazy? I never expected a payoff, no. Huh. Okay, well, it, it felt very important in the moment to me. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, last one. Uh, in the scene where Sam and the Frog Brothers stake Marco while he sleeps, they are pursued by the rest of the vampire gang as they try to escape back into the daylight. David grabs Sam's leg, but Sam manages to drag David's hand into the sunlight where it catches fire. A tear then slides down David's face as he clutches his hand in agony. Apparently, the tear running down his face was actually caused by Keith Sutherland's contact lenses, which were stinging terribly. But they decided to keep it as it looked really good and was in context. Ooh. I love little tidbits like that. I, lo- I love that shot, though, of, of him with that single tear. It's actually coming out of this. Well, if you're looking on the screen, it's coming out of this eye. I yeah. love that. I love that shot. Yeah, happy accident. Yeah, a uh, couple casting what-ifs. Uh, executive producer Richard Donner originally intended to direct the movie himself, but as production languished, he moved on to Lethal Weapon and eventually hired Joel Schumacher to do the job. Uh, John Carradine um, was originally a choice for Grandpa. Um, Carradine was too ill to take the part. And Jim Carrey was considered for the role of David. Really? Yeah. I mean... I guess this is pre-Jim Carrey stardom. 
Yeah, it is. He was he had actually been a vampire before in a movie called Once Bitten in 1985, which I am unaware of. Yeah. All right. Favorite quote. I got five. Oh my goodness. All right, number one. Uh, Grandpa, one thing about living in Santa Clara, I never could stomach all the damn vampires. Number two is from Sam. Look at your reflection in the mirror. You're a creature of the night, Michael, just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael, my own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. You wait till Mom finds out, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the phrasing of that got a laugh out of me, a goddamn (laughs) shit-sucking vampire. It just seems way too over the top. It's so awesome ridiculous uh a little exchange between sam and michael so where are we going nowhere so what's the rush you're chasing that girl aren't you come on admit it i'm at the mercy of your sex glands bud (laughs) uh number four is from grandpa again lucy you're the only woman i ever knew that didn't improve her situation by getting divorced uh, and then the last one is from the Frog Brothers. We unraveled in the face of the enemy. It's not our fault. They pulled a mind scramble us. They opened their eyes and talked. <laughs> All good choices. I really want to go with the Frog Brothers, but I have to go with Corey Haim calling his brother a shit-sucking vampire. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a fine choice. I, uh, I, Manny, I, I, I combed through my notes and I really only found one, one quote that really, really stuck out to me as one that I liked from this movie. All right. So I got one candidate, one winner. It's, uh, it's Edgar Frog. And this is the only movie you, you mentioned that he's doing this like match. He's putting on this macho voice to be like Stallone or, or Chuck Norris. This is maybe the only moment where it works. Maybe the only moment. Okay. I, I think I should warn you all. When a vampire bites, it's never a pretty sight. No two, or when he bites it, excuse me, it's never a pretty sight. No two bloodsuckers go the same way. Some yell and scream, some go quietly, some explode, some implode, but all will try to take you with them. I love that line. Such a badass line. It's fucking wicked. I wrote that down immediately. I was (laughs) like, that's the coolest moment of this movie. (laughs) Uh, Favorite scene? I've got five. Uh, number one, the vampires attack the house. Number okay. two, Max comes over for dinner. Three, the Frog Brothers and Sam go into the cave. Sam and Michael discover he's a vampire. And number five, the Sax Man. Okay, what's the winner? Max comes over for dinner. Max comes over for dinner. That's, a, that's an okay pick. I'm okay with all that. Uh, I only have two picks for the best scene, the ones that I really liked. Uh, and one's the sax player as well. <laughs> nice! Because <laughs> that was the hardest I laughed in the entire movie. <laughs> I... uh, the other one was the uh, the scene in the cave. Uh, the one where they're changing the food to bugs. Oh, the, the Chinese food oh, sorry, scene. Sorry, in the, in, in the like, hotel, yeah. The Chinese food scene. Yeah, the Chinese food scene. Nice. Who yeah. wins? Sax man. I think the sax man. Also. Yeah! Hilarious. That was my number two choice, I won't lie. I fucking love the sax yeah. man. Run- winner for me, runner up for you. Awesome. All right, closing credits. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? No. Hold on. Let's see who was up for Oscars this year. This is 1987. This should be a fun exercise. uh, What what category does Saxman slot into? Is he a supporting actor, I guess? Score. (laughs) Best score, yeah. Uh, Honestly, I, I couldn't even make a strong case for it 
but the only one that I could make a case for would be Kiefer Sutherland. But I, 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 yeah. I that that would be that's like a homer pick. Um, that's, that's a stretch. He he would be the candidate for oh, and he's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Good year for uh, for supporting actor. Uh, up for best supporting actor that year are Albert Brooks in Broadcast News, Sean Connery in The Untouchables, Morgan Freeman for Street Smart, Vincent Gardenia in Moonstruck, and Denzel Washington in Cry Freedom. Yeah, it's gonna be an L for you, buddy. Yeah, me an L. Can't I just can't squeeze him in there. Uh. What other aspects of the film are award-worthy? Uh, we talked about it having a some surprisingly competent cinematography. Yes, and we shouldn't say um, I don't, I don't, we shouldn't say surprisingly old... competent since we know who did the cinematography. Right? Yeah, we did talk about. Uh, I, I don't think we've even mentioned that on air, have we? But no. We, we it... kind of went on a tangent uh, as we do before we hit record about uh, some director that I had never heard of, and I don't think you'd ever heard of either, right? No. Or, no. Michael Chapman. How, I can't remember how we got there. Well, <laughs> as I never can. I think we were talking about some garbage movie with some director that we had never heard of, and it turned out he was the cinematographer for all these amazing movies, right? Yes. Yeah, like Michael, Michael Chapman. Yeah, Michael Chapman. What, do you remember what the movie was we were talking about? No. Uh, I, I genuinely can't. We were talking about some movie directed by Michael Chapman, and neither of us had ever heard of this guy as a director. And it turned out he's the cinematographer for not only The Lost Boys, but for raging bull and for uh what were some of the other like crazy movies he was a cinematographer for taxi driver yeah um like working a lot with scorsese in like classic scorsese movies so only only some of the greatest movies ever made yeah he, the, the fugitive kindergarten cop ghostbusters 2 scrooged um you already said raging bull invasion of the body snatchers the last waltz he's just amazing uh, yes, and, so, some of the greatest movies of all time, like uh, Raging Cla- Bull, Taxi Driver, and Kindergarten Cop. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Clan of the Cave Bear. That's how we got there. Clan of the, yeah, he directed Clan of the Cave. I don't know how the fuck we got onto that. Because we have the potential to talk to somebody that was in Clan of the Cave Bear. Oh yeah, true, 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 true. Yes, interesting. <clears throat> okay, so the yeah the the cinematography is is the only other aspect of this film that we could argue a case for being award worthy um but looking at the obviously the cinematography uh in these films were in, in, that were in that year I, I wouldn't quite i've only seen three of them um i don't think it quite matches up but it is the probably one of the best parts of this film in sure. in the technical aspect uh what was the weak link of the film sam uh i i'm tempted to say the script um, there, there, which is almost a little unfair because there is a lot of there's there's some laughs in this movie for sure. Uh, but I think a lot of it is in the delivery, especially of the of the Frog Brothers, uh, Edgar and Allen. Um, I, I was not a fan of the script of this movie, um, or I guess really the the screenplay in general. There's there's some logical in, inconsistencies. Some of the character motiva- motivations don't make sense. Uh, my my instinct is to say the screenplay, e- even though the the concept of it is a lot of fun. Uh, just the execution kind of missed for me. I can agree with that. I I, can, I could agree with the the screenplay being the weak link, despite mm-hmm. some dialogue stuff that I really enjoyed. And again, yeah. the, the plot itself and the idea of the movie is awesome. Yeah, um, it's t- the screenplay is not without merit, not without its moments, but it it is the weakest link for me. Uh, was this anybody's career highlight? 
I don't know. Was it? Did, uh, did Jason Patrick do anything after this movie? Yeah, he did a lot, my friend. Did he? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't recognize him from anything. Um, Could be... Could it be Corey Hames? I think it might be Corey Hames. He did become a like a huge star after this movie, but the fi- the films he did afterwards didn't quite reach this quite this quite level. This might have actually been his his highlight. Mm-hmm. Could be close. Feldman, Jason, no. Jason Definitely Jameson Newlander. Not. Edward Herman, not Bernard Hughes, obviously not Diane Weist, not Alex. Uh, not- do we want to do we want to play with the idea that uh, I mean Joel Schumacher also directed two Batman movies, so I would be even though they were considered to be not very good, would we consider this to be up there from a from a quality perspective? I think we both like A Time to Kill better than this one. Uh, this from a quality aspect, yeah, The Time to Kill <clears throat> is a better film than this. And from a commercial success perspective, he had the Batman movies. Yeah. So I couldn't, I wouldn't put this as, this was only his fourth film. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, yeah. I can't think of anybody. None of the main people, except for Jameson Newlander, this would be their career highlight. Hmm. Uh, MVP of the film? Uh, Tim Capello. <laughs> Sax man. Uh, in, all, in all seriousness, I think uh, probably a two way tie between Kiefer Sutherland and Corey Feldman. I would agree. I, I, if, if I had to choose, I would go with Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, yeah, I think me but, too. but I like that. The sax man is on the podium for sure. Yeah, uh, and Corey Feldman probably taking on the bronze simply simply just because that voice. That voice is so weird. Yeah, it's a weird I choice. I don't know how Joel Schumacher didn't go, okay, no, no, no. That's not what I meant. <laughs> At any point. Uh, what, will, what will be this film's legacy? Um, Ancestor to Twilight? No, that's too harsh. That's too harsh. Um, I don't really know. Um, this this movie, if, I can tell you right now, this movie was one of the ones that really started to push forward the horror comedy aspects of movies. Uh, horror comedy wasn't quite getting blended quite yet as, as much or in the mainstream. Um, Sam Raimi did have the Evil Dead movies, which did that. Uh, I think the first Evil Dead probably predates this. I don't know if the second one does. Um, but this really pushed that forward. Um, the other part of this film's legacy would be the meeting of the two Corys, uh, which was a huge, probably about five, six-year run for those two guys, um, being uh, famous, I guess, and teen heartthrobs. Uh, Evil Dead 2 came out four months before... Uh... Before the Lost Boys. Okay, so yeah, so this is it's kind of on the on the the tip of the spear of of mixing horror and comedy together, um, or a release a resurgence of it. Um, those would probably be the. This is also kind of. Uh, no, I, I can't even say that. I wouldn't be able to say. I, I think that would be the the film's legacy is, is the really helping forge a new era of horror and comedy being put together and uh and the 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 meeting of the two Corys is a, is a big thing. Yeah, I feel like I am not really equipped to make this judgment call just because of my lack of experience with this movie. I'll uh, I'll take your word for that. Uh, all right. Uh, would you watch this movie again? Under specific circumstance. If you're asking me if I would ever just like sit down by myself and put on the Lost Boys, I probably won't. Uh, if 
Like, I, I wouldn't resist watching it if there was somebody who specifically wanted to watch it. Like, if, for whatever reason, you and I were hanging out in October. I, I know you have a rule about uh, people going over to your house and need <laughs> to uh, watch a movie they've never seen before. But let's just say you, you just required me to watch this movie again. I, I would I would do it without hesitation, but I don't see myself putting this on for no reason ever again. Oh, fair enough. Uh, I 100% will watch this movie again. I'll watch it numerous times. I've watched it honestly countless times this is i've i've seen this movie well north of 20 to 30 times easily which while while that sounds like a lot you have to realize this movie for me is 34 years old yeah so and and you're you yeah you're always watching movies yes i've i spent i spent the majority of the 90s watching zero television i spent the majority of the 90s watching i would say 90 percent of the things i watched were movies I didn't watch TV. I watched movies. God. Yeah. But you were still watching hockey back in the 90s, right? I was watching hockey, a smidge of baseball, a smidge of football, but it was it was all movies all the time. I I rarely watched any TV in the 90s. Didn't okay. watch didn't watch Friends, didn't watch Seinfeld, didn't watch Frasier, didn't watch ER, didn't watch I didn't watch TV. I, I if I was home, I was watching a movie. Wow. Even I've seen Friends and Seinfeld. I seen Friend I still haven't watched Seinfeld. I've watched maybe seven episodes. There's some there's some good stuff in Seinfeld. That's what I hear. Yeah. I've I've watched all of Friends in, in retrospect. And I, I Are you a friends are you a friends person? I don't am I if is is the is the only answer a yes or a no? Like, yeah, you, you you can give some subtlety. I en- you, there's a you release multi-hour podcast. We can we can squeeze in some subtle some subtlety. I've watched a lot of episodes of Friends that I really like. I find the later seasons to be a chore. I'm I'm exactly the same. I feel like all the characters in Friends kind of become caricatures of themselves later. Like Monica in particular is completely unlikable towards the end of the show. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, and, um, and Ross. Ross is Ross is a fucking psychopath. Yeah, the end of the show. he gets uh, almost unbearable. But the early season, like the early seasons, there's some really great episodes. I can't remember. It was actually pretty recently. I was talking about Friends. Um, I think maybe I saw something. I think I saw something on BuzzFeed or something, and they were talking about. I think they had like a bracket for the best Joey episodes, and the one that ended up winning is is my is one of my favorite episodes. Um, it's, and it's the one, it's, it's the one where he puts on all of Chandler's clothes. <laughs> Could I be wearing any more clothes? <laughs> yeah. Great episode. Yeah, great episode. I think my favorite episode in friends is the quiz show episode where the guys win the apartment from the girls. Yep. What is, what is Chandler Bing's name? I have a, no, what, what is Chandler? Job, what is his job? What is his job? I, I got that confused because I actually have a little pin on my lanyard at work that just says, actually, it's Miss Chenandler Bong. <laughs> <laughs> I love that episode. Yeah, there's... And, uh, oh, man, there's... One of my favorites is the the one where they're playing the game of catch that they uh, that they can't stop. They, they're playing catch with the ball in the oh, apartment. in the like, apartment. Four hours straight. R- ridiculous. <laughs> it's a great episode. Uh, and one of my other favorite episodes, because it shows off what an incredible comedic actor he is, is the Brad Pitt episode. Yeah, didn't he like? Oh no, I'm I'm thinking of uh, Bruce Willis. But yeah, uh, the Brad Pitt episode's good. Um, with his history with uh, Jennifer Aniston's character. Yes. I, I just want to say Bruce Willis in that show uh, was only in it because he lost a bet, didn't he? I don't know. I, I I'm fairly certain the only reason Bruce Willis has a has a role in that show is because he lost a bet. 
I could be wrong about that though. He plays one of one of Ross's love interest's dad, if I recall. Yes, yes, he does. Man, it's been a long time since I've rewatched Friends. It's I still remember an okay amount of it. Uh, awesome! Wow, what a great tangent. Um, yeah, that was great. <laughs> speaking of Friends, would you recommend this movie to friends? Um, I would rather watch Friends with friends than watch this movie. <laughs> I, I. It's kind of tough. If they're looking for a very specific sort of thing, I might think about recommending it. I uh, I just think we can do better for horror comedies, especially now. I'll, I'll appreciate the role that this movie had in pioneering the horror comedy genre, but we can do better. And uh, and a little, uh, little spoiler alert, we will be doing better. <laughs> I guess we'll see. I guess we'll uh, see. Uh, I would definitely recommend this movie to friends of a certain age. Sam. Your final thoughts on The Lost Boys. This is a rare moment uh, where a Manny recommendation just uh, didn't do the trick for me. It does happen from time to time. Uh, and I'm not sure you even recommended, or you, I'm not sure you even wanted to watch this one in the hopes that I would like love this movie. No. Or any, I don't think that's what you're, what you're saying. This is one that I can see has a very distinct 80s flavor to it. For a person born in a certain time, I can see that that would have a major nostalgia factor for you. I can't fault you for that. This movie has lots of good stuff about it. It also has lots of stuff that I really, really didn't like. Um, I, I think this probably won't be one that I ever put on again, if uh, unless the absolute most extreme circumstances. I'm glad that I did see it once. This is one that uh, I kind of was aware of, but really didn't know anything about. Um, I'm glad that I watched it once. Probably won't throw it on again, to be completely honest with you, unless I'm unless I'm desperate. But uh, yeah, it was. It was unfortunate to have missed, but man, you know I uh, I hate I hate breaking that heart of yours. I hate I hate looking through the screen and then seeing the look <laughs> of betrayal on your face. It's not a look of betrayal, and that's one of the beautiful things about this is that I know that you'll always be honest. Always, and always be honest, and it's one of the great things about about this. I I like I said at the beginning of the show, I was unsure. I shouldn't say I was unsure. I was pretty sure you weren't you weren't going to heap praise on this movie the way that I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I held out hope that that might be the case, but it's, it's a generational thing. The majority of people that are my age, we all grew up with this movie. It all means a lot to us. The same with the movie, the Goonies. Um, I, have you seen the Goonies, Sam? Yeah. I just recently watched it actually uh, a few months ago for the first, for the first time. Interesting. And what'd you think? Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it uh, more than The Lost Boys. I uh, I thought it was a pretty enjoyable ride. Definitely silly and not like uh, it's clearly a product of its time as well. And another uh, another fantastic movie where uh, that that showcases Corey Feldman's skill set. Yes. Um. Yeah. It has its has its moments. I I don't know if I'd ever really sit down to watch it by myself. It's like a it feels like a party movie to me. It feels like a watch it with friends sort of movie, especially friends of a certain age and a certain generation. But yeah, I I like the Goonies a decent amount. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, The Lost Boys holds a big special place in my heart. I grew up with this movie. I've watched it all the time. I love this movie. It makes me laugh. It makes me, it gives me a little bit of scares. Uh, Nothing major, thank God, because I hate being scared. Uh, It definitely scared me when I was a kid. But this movie will it's part of my childhood and so as we say numerous times it's a complete homer pick uh i had i wasn't i shouldn't say that 
I was pretty sure Sam was going to react the way he did about the movie. I just held out hope that it might have elevated itself. So I'm not surprised uh, at what everything Sam said. Uh, so I'm not I'm not disappointed. This isn't this isn't a movie I was recommending to you uh, on our list of recommendations. We know each other's taste pretty well at this point, I think. Yeah, and it is a generational thing. This is this is a a purely '80s movie. You were born, what seven years after the '80s ended? Uh, yeah, I was born '96. Yep, six years, six years after they ended. So this doesn't resonate with you, but for for kids of the '80s, uh, this just hits sweet home in the old nostalgia heart there. Uh, so yeah, I, I loved it. I was happy to watch it. I'll be watching it again numerous times. Sam, time to really break my heart. What's your rating? You want me to rip the band-aid off or do you just want me to you want me to drag it out? No, you can just tell me you gave it a two and I'll be good. Yeah, well, I guess I don't have to now. <laughs> yeah, it's a two. It, it's not even close to approaching one territory, but uh, I'd be I'd be being dishonest with both of us if I gave this a three, and I know you don't want that. That would break your heart even more. I that think, would man. break that would break my I, heart. If I was not honest with you. So yeah, I gotta give this a two. Yeah. This is a four for me. It's a pure nostalgia hit for me i i love this movie uh, i have a great time not not shocked at you giving it a two uh sam what's going on next week manny it's so weird i just said uh hopefully we were going to be talking about some more horror comedies I, I think i just said that like five minutes ago we got one coming up next week right we're going to be talking about uh a movie i listed as my favorite horror movie ever uh, in an episode way back when that i don't have the number of <laughs> Shaun of the dead next week manny continuing our uh what did we call us off the top of the show Our ha- halloween horror month ha- halloween horror month yeah you'd think i would have this all written down but yeah we're gonna be talking uh, about Shaun of the dead in episode 124 don't miss it it's pretty funny we're doing a halloween horror month and we have three films we have four films in total we don't know the fourth film is we actually forgot to mention that we're still waiting on the results of our fan selected horror month uh th- God, we're so fucking bad at this i know <laughs> three of our films are actually not scary at all <laughs> yep, that's true. The three that we chose. Yeah, the three that we chose, no scares. I, when I watched Shaun of the Dead for the first time, I found it scary, but I was also f- 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 far too young to have watched it. But we'll, we'll get into that next week. All right, so next week we have Shaun of the Dead. Please tune in and listen to it then. Please remember to subscribe to us and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. You can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you could give us a five-star rating and a positive review on iTunes, it does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us. And if you're ever sitting around talking about podcasts or what you're listening to with some friends, why don't you mention us, allow more people to find us. We would love to geek out with them as well. So for the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Emanuel. Thanks for listening, Michael. See you next time, Michael. Bye, Michael. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!